why I had an accident this morning. And I got rid of the big things here. I knocked one off, and so your floor has been baptized in the Presbyterian sense. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, kids. All right, if you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. Uh, by the way, today officially begins year number 45 in evangelism. And I spent eight years as an assistant pastor. That was, I often describe that as my graduate school. And then uh, 45 years ago this week, entered the ministry of full-time evangelism and have been going ever since. Uh, have a full schedule for next year. And uh, I uh, have, and then in, in 19, it's about three-fourths filled. So the Lord keeps providing meetings, keeps me in good health, reasonably health. I've lost some weight, trying to lose some more. And I don't want to find it. I don't want this. When I lose it, I want it to stay lost. I want it out of my life. I'll give it to you if you want, if you want some extra weight. Pastor, I'll give you 30 pounds. How's that? No, but you need hair. Oh. <laughs> anyway, the Lord's been very, very good to me that way, and I thank the Lord for that. My grandson is now 17, got his driver's license, and was going to start driving himself to school. And the other night, a teenage girl, 19 years old, about 11.30 at night, my daughter's family was all in bed, and she left this house, and she was on her phone, she came around the corner and she plowed into the rear end of my, uh, my son-in-law's minivan. So now he's driving Samuel's car to work. It was my other daughter's old car. Anyway, talking on the phone and, and not paying attention and driving too fast and driving with an expired uh, 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 license plate on the car. And so that girl's in all kinds of trouble. <clears throat> 19 years old. Get off the phone. Anyway... So Sam was not going to be driving himself to school for a while. But he's a fine young man, and the uh, pastor got to know him a couple years ago. We were up here fishing together, and he outfished me, and he always lets me know he outfishes me. And I said, just remember, buddy, you had a good teacher. So the teacher doesn't mind when the student excels. It means the teacher did a good job. Romans chapter 1, um, there is so much in this chapter uh, let me just quickly go through a 10-point outline for you, Pastor. You can make, because every one of what I'm going to share here could be a sermon. If I was a pastor, I would make this a 10-part series of messages. Uh, the, the word God is mentioned 22 times in chapter 1 alone. Think about that. For example, verse 1, notice the gospel of God. Number 2 in verse 4, the Son of God. Verse 7, number 3, the beloved of God. And then in verse 10, the will of God. Down in verse 16, the power of God. Verse 17, the righteousness of God. And verse 18, the wrath of God. Verse 23, the glory of God. Verse 25, the truth of God. And then in verse 32, number 10, the judgment of God. There's a there's a powerful passage or a series for you, Pastor. He's taking notes already, beginning to build that series. 
All right, the gospel of God is the gospel of his son, who is the Christ. All that found in verse 9 and in verse 16. Also interesting to note in verses 3 and 4, uh, we, we know that the book of Romans is the doctrinal dissertation. It's like a book of Bible doctrines. The other books are letters and they carry a lot of other information. But in, in, in verses 3 and 4, you have the doctrine of Christology, the doctrine of Christ. Notice in verse 3, his humanity who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. And then in verse 4, we have his deity and declared to be the Son of God. And uh, we also notice his power, uh, his, his omnipotence there, uh, and declared to be the Son of God with power. And then his holiness according to the spirit of holiness. And then the doctrine of the resurrection by the resurrection of the dead. Now, none of that has anything to do with my subject this morning, but I just thought that I would share those thoughts with you. Uh, Romans 1 is a fascinating chapter. We're going to look at it, uh, I think, in four messages. And then on Wednesday night, I'm going to take a different chapter in Romans. So I guess you might title the series Roaming Through Romans, like the title of my book back there. I specifically want you to notice with me, if you will, beginning at verse 8 down through verse 13. Well, um, let, let me begin at verse 7 as well. He's writing to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Notice the words to be are italicized. They're not in the original manuscripts. Literally, we are called saints. So we are saints by conversion, not by canonization by a, a church. And so I am Saint Kenneth. And you are saved. Put your first name there, all right? If, if you know Christ as your Savior, you are, not you ought to be, not you ought to live like you ought to, but you are a saint, all right? And we need to live like that. A grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests that if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end ye may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes or many times I purposed or desired to come unto you, but was let or prevented hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I want to speak to you this morning about Paul's heart for the Roman Christians, who at this point he had never met. He knew them merely by reputation, and his heart's desire was to eventually make a trip to Rome. We know he did eventually get there, but uh, it was the end of his life when he got there. And, of course, we know that he lost his head, literally. He was executed, beheaded, martyred in Rome at the hands of Emperor Nero. First of all, I want to leave three thoughts. Number one, he delights in their faith in verse 8. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Now, some people would suggest Paul was from South Carolina or Georgia. You all. Y'all. You know, that's where we pronounce it down there. But he was thankful to the Lord for those believers in the Church of Rome. Uh, 
And he praises them uh, for their, their testimony, their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. What a wonderful testimony that was. I mean, even reaching Paul over in Asia Minor, the testimony of this dear group of believers. Uh, there's a lady by the name of Phoebe that he got to know somewhat, by, again, by reputation. Uh, maybe Wednesday we'll do a study on that because that, that's a nice message for the ladies. So ladies are all going to be here, but I may not do it. So anyway, y'all, y'all, you all are going to be here anyway, right? So we'll just enjoy our time together. So he's grateful to them for their testimony and praises them. In verse 9, he says, God is my witness. And by the way, when you say God is my witness, that is a serious thing to say. You better never say that term lightly. Say, God is my will. I know some people have in court and things and, and, and uh, thieves and the world. God is my witness. I'm telling you, yeah, right. God's your witness. Uh, God is your witness. And God knows the truth. He says, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. One of the things that has been a, a rich blessing to me, I... I, I am an associate member of a fairly large church down in, in Taylor, South Carolina. Uh, we have a nice drum set over here, and uh, we got the extra pulpit over here, and the crucifix. No, no, just kidding. Uh, Faith Baptist Church in Taylor, South Carolina, about 800 people, 700, 800 people there. And there are many people who come up to me when I'm there and say, Oh, hi, Brother Ken. I want you to pray for you every day. There are a number of people in that home church that pray for me every day. I, I guess I'm a major prayer project. Like I said, well, I need the prayers and you need the practice. So, uh, seriously, it's a, it's a blessing to, to know that people are thinking of you and, and uh, to, the, to the point where they're, they're taking you every day before the throne of grace, asking for God's protection, God's provision, and, and uh, all those kinds of things in the ministry. Paul is grateful for them. And praise them. There's a several other times we won't take time to look at them this morning where Paul reminds the believers to whom he's writing that he prays for them. And again, that's not a statement that is to be taken lightly. When you tell a missionary, I'm going to pray for you, you've just made a commitment. Make sure you do. And uh, then thirdly, he says uh, he plans to see them uh, in, verse, in verse 10 there, making requests. One of the things he prays for. Actually, he's praying for them, but he's also, in a way, praying for himself in this one regard, that God would allow him to eventually make a trip to Rome to visit these believers. Uh, if you keep your figure here, turn over to Romans chapter 15 uh, for just a quick second. Uh, Romans chapter 15. <clears throat> oh, but, but, but where do we start? Um... He's asking for them to pray for him in verse 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive with me in your prayers to God for me. By the way, this verse contains the entire Trinity, doesn't it? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it says that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So Paul prays for himself as he prays for these believers in Rome, but he's also now asking the Romans to join in before the throne of grace in praying with Paul, for Paul, 
And one of the things he actually asked them to pray for, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. Uh, Paul was under constant threat. Uh, his life was almost always in danger by people who hated the gospel. Uh, folks, we in America don't understand that. Honestly, we have been, we have been, well, we have grown up basically, basically our country was founded upon the Judeo-Christian ethic taught in the Bible. Uh, our country was founded, uh, the not the Jamestown colony. Interesting, they compare Plymouth Colony with Jamestown. They came for two different reasons, and they had two different things that happened. The Jamestown colony was almost virtually wiped out of disease. They came looking for riches and gold and all the, all the worldly stuff, and God said, uh-uh. The pilgrims came for religious freedom, and, uh, and they, they had a tough time. But they survived. And by the way, uh, I had a pastor say he was up there visiting Plymouth Rock, you know, in the village there. And they tell you now that, the, that everything that we've ever heard about the pilgrims was a lie, was not true, that they were wicked people and they abused the enemy. Folks, that's a lie. They're part of this wokeism stuff. I wish all these woke people would go back to sleep and not wake up for a long, long time, all right? But anyway, uh, Paul's life was constantly in danger. And we, we have a hard time understanding because we have lived in the land of the free for our entire life. Now, I understand that you and, uh, who are older like me know that the young people that are here today, are not, are, they're not growing up in the same country you and I grew up with. You know, uh, you wonder where your kids were at night, you drive down the street and look for all the bicycles that are laying in the yard and go out back and they're having a game. We played in streams. We got dirty. We played in the mud. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have iPads. We didn't have all this electronic garbage. I, I, I see a brother and a sister sitting in an airport across from me and they're texting each other. They can't even carry on a conversation with a brother or a sister sitting right next to them. How backward our society is becoming. Technology, folks, is not all it's crapped up to be. It has its benefits, but it also has its drawbacks and its, its condemnations with it. So Paul said, I want you to pray that I'll be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have had for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. There's a second prayer request. Uh, that the saints in Jerusalem will understand and they'll, they'll accept my ministry to them. And then thirdly, here's the third prayer request in verse 32, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. You know, folks, it's always a time of refreshment to be with God's people. And I have to tell you, people who say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, yeah, but you don't go to church on a regular basis, you know what? That's saying, well, I, I want to be married, but I don't want to go home. There's something wrong, folks, with uh, let me be, can I be candidly honest with you? And I, and I say this from a heart of love, and folks, this congregation is probably no different than any other congregation I preach to. But Sunday morning Christians are carnal Christians at best. Unless there's a health reason where you cannot come back in the evening, Sunday morning Christians are carnal. The word of God says we're not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the matter of some is. That means when the assembly is in session, you have a responsibility to be there. Not for the pastor, not for the guest preacher, 
uh, not being there simply because it's God's desire and God's will for you to be there. And the service you missed is probably the one that the Lord wanted to, wanted to teach you the most from. And so Paul says, listen, it's a time of refreshment to be together with you folks. I know one day it's going to come. I'm hoping the Lord comes before this day comes when I have to retire. Uh, that make, I mean, I'm not getting any younger. Uh, I feel like I'm a little bit younger than I was two years ago. I can walk around better. I can, I can do a lot of things. I couldn't do it before my knee surgery. But, but I'm not getting any younger. And folks, the day's going to come when I'm going to have to retire and get off the road. And that's going to be one of the most difficult days of my ministry. One of the things I will miss, I think probably as much as anything, is being able to be with the Lord's people I've gotten to know over the years. And my closest friends are pastors. And to not be able to be with them on occasion, even if it's only every couple of years, you know, and to spend that time, I, I prize, I treasure that time. And that's going to be a hard thing for me to do. My sister says, oh, when are you going to retire and get off the road? I said, ah, I have no plans. Retirement's not right now in my vocabulary. I'm not sure what it means. Um, you know, people retire from something they're tired of doing to do something they want to do. They want to play golf, want to go fishing every day. Folks, I'm already doing what I love to do. People used to talk about a midlife crisis. I, I thought, did I miss something? <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure what a midlife crisis is, you know. Did, did, I, did I somehow miss it? I've been so busy serving the Lord and enjoying the ministry that I, I guess it would pass me by. And maybe the midlife crisis, oh, don't, boy, don't waste your time on him. He's not worth the effort. <laughs> But seriously, folks, uh, the fellowship with God's people is a precious thing. This is a local church family. When I was an assistant pastor, uh, part of my responsibility was to follow up on absentees in Sunday school. And I would visit people. We, we used to actually do a, a, a uh, I don't know what you call it, like a, like a registration on Sunday morning. We passed out little, little slips of paper and you could sign your name and what, uh, you know, the morning service you were there. Uh, if people were, I was also Sunday school superintendent. If they were more than 10 minutes late, we counted them absent. And I would call them and they, some, one lady got kind of tired of me calling her. I saw, ma'am, I said, listen, if, you're, if your son or daughter didn't come home from school one day, wouldn't you be concerned? Well, of course I would. I said, well, you're part of our church family and we love you. And when you're not there, we're concerned about you. And I guess that explanation made a lot of difference in her life. And all of a sudden, she started being more faithful. She got there on time. She wasn't as cantankerous as she used to be and, and things. Folks, this is a family affair. So Paul, he praises them. He prays for them, asks for them to pray for him. And he plans to see them eventually. Of course, we know that he did get there. So in verse 8, we notice his delight in their faith, in their testimony. In verse 11, notice he desires their fellowship. Oh, he touched on that. Some he says, I long to see you. It was a personal wish. Uh, you know, I, we don't always know what the will of God is. That's why it's important to pray, uh, Father, if this is your will. If we pray according to his will, he hears us. Uh, I've had some people say, oh, we, we have this person who's very seriously ill and in fact, that lady, her husband was had an infection. He was already had several strokes and was in very bad health. Eventually, the Lord took him home, and she wanted me to pray that God would heal that that uh, that infection. And I told her, I said, I can't pray that way. 
And she's a member of a good sister church, fundamental church. And I said, uh, I said, she said, why not? I said, first of all, it may not be God's will. Now I can pray if it's God's will that the Lord healing, but I can't just ask God to heal him. I see, but she said, I don't know what I do without him. I said, God's grace would be sufficient. I've already lost Barb, you know. And I said, I know what, what you would be going through because I've already been there and done that. I said, you know, it, it can be selfish. We don't want to lose them. But your husband is suffering something terrible right now. Wouldn't it be good just to say, commit him to the Lord, say, Lord, he's yours. If you want to take him home, take him home. If you want to heal him, heal him. Well, the Lord chose to take him home. And by the way, she's doing just fine. I participated in the funeral and the, and the burial service, and uh, and that lady's doing just fine on her on her own today. Um, be careful that we don't start begging God for what may not be God's will. Uh, particularly, I know this is true when it comes to illness, and we beg God to heal a person. But first, we need to be willing to let them go. If that's God's will, that's what's best. And sometimes, you know, God gives in to a person uh, who, who demands things of God. Like the Israelites in, in, in the wilderness, demanding of God meat. God said, don't you have meat? Well, we want meat, you know. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you meat. Not for just one, one meal, but 30 days. And you're going to get so sick of it, it's like it oozed out their ears and their nostrils. And thousands of people died of indigestion. They got what they wanted, but they didn't get the result they wanted. And so when it comes to prayer, we can let our requests be made known unto God, but I do not believe that we have the right to demand things of God. I had one book on prayer. I don't have it anymore. don't know what happened to it. Uh, written by a good man. He's with the Lord, a great, great uh, soul winner. But he said we have the right to demand things of God, and God has to do it. Folks, that makes God my servant. When the Bible teaches, I'm his servant. I don't get to tell God what to do. He gets to tell me what to do. And what's more, I'm supposed to listen. By the way, that same author also said that all answered prayer is affirmative. That means it's a yes. How do you defend that from Scripture? You look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and Paul prayed three times, at least three times that he refers to, for deliverance from the thorn in the flesh. Did God answer that prayer? Absolutely. With a yes? No. He answered it with a Paul, I'm not going to give you what you asked for. I'm going to give you something you didn't think to ask for. A more than sufficient supply of grace. And so God chose not to heal Paul, but God gave him the grace. So what did Paul do? Have a pity party? Gives a little miniature violin. Oh, God didn't answer my prayers, you know. I've had, I've had, we've had some people along the way over the years say, God never answers my prayer. Well, number one, you better question. Number one, is there sin in my life? If there's sin in my life, the Lord will not hear me. And is what I'm praying for not the will of God? You know, well, I don't know whether well, to pray for the will of God to be done. You know, and so something that well, the Lord never hear, never answers my prayers. Well, a lot of times the prayers they're talking about are very selfish prayers. I want this. I I want a new bike. I want a new car. God doesn't give it to me. No, you don't need a new car. A good second-hand car, a year old, that uh, has already got some of the value run off of it, and it's cheaper to buy. All right, so Paul des des desires to be with his person was to contribute to the foundation of their faith. Notice there in verse 10, that I may have a prosperous journey, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. In other words, I, I want to come, and among other things, I want to help you grow. 
I want to add to your faith. I want to be a blessing to you. I want to teach you from my own experience. And I want to teach you the things of, of the Lord that maybe you haven't heard before. I want, to, I want to help your faith to be established. Paul does write in Colossians 2 and verses 6 and 7, Having therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in the faith, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. By the way, salvation is having received Christ Jesus, period. Something missing? What's missing? Pardon? The Lord. I know we hear a lot about this idea of lordship salvation. Don't make more of that than there is. But the Bible says, having therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord. So walk in, built up and rooted in him, uh, and growing in him as you've been taught. Folks, listen, a person cannot be truly born again and saved. So I I want you to be my savior, but I have no intention of letting you run my life. That's the lordship. Folks, that person is not ready to be saved. Because there's no humility. It's all self-centered. It's all, all I want is a fire insurance from hell. And I want to, I want to ride the devil's train. Well, you can ride the devil's train. But let me tell you something, folks. The devil's train doesn't stop at God's, uh, at God's depot. It's got its own depot. Now, I'd encourage you, if you're on the devil's train and you're heading where you don't want to be, if you repent and turn from your sin, God will pull that cord on that train. He'll pull it to a screeching stop. And lo and behold, the door opens and there's a platform. And you get out, you walk across the platform, and you get on another train that's waiting for you called the Hallelujah Line. Amen? So when you get saved, you accept the Lord Jesus Christ. All of him. Now, the control, the dedication, the surrender of one's life may be a separate step of ability. You know, presenting your body a living sacrifice, that may not automatically happen at the moment of salvation. In some lives it does. But it's a point that comes. But you cannot reject his lordship and truly be saved at the point of salvation. Uh, he also desires, in verse 12 there, to be comforted by fellowship in their faith. Notice, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. We have something in common. What is it? It's our faith. What do you as a church and me as an evangelist have in common? Our faith in the Word of God and in the God of the Bible. And so that produces a great comfort. You know, there's a, the, the, the spiritual bond in Christ is far more powerful than the physical bond through blood. You know, uh, I have a friend of mine who's uh, saved out of a, a, a staunch Roman Catholic background. Her family wants nothing much to do with her. Uh, her one brother got saved, and he's okay. But but the other, they just don't want, don't want much to do with her. You know, she's kind of disgraced the family. Well, no, she's gotten saved, and she has the joy of the Lord. And that family relationship in the local church is a bond that is not easily broken. He also says in verse... Uh, in verse uh, chapter 15, to be comforted by fellowship with the faithful. Paul literally craved their fellowship. Folks, again, let me say, a child of God who is a healthy, a spiritually healthy Christian is one who craves fellowship with other believers. There's no place for spiritual, is it recluse, is that the right word? 
There's no place for spiritual recluses in the family of God. You ought to desire, you ought to have an earnest, boy, I can't wait till Sunday morning so I can get together with the Lord's people and see folks I don't get to see all week long. And then come back on Sunday night and enjoy that fellowship and music and song and, and the preaching of the Word of God together. And then on Wednesday night, you're out there in the world all over Monday and Tuesday and all day Wednesday, and you get to come to church and refresh yourself with the Lord's people and in a Bible study and prayer time. And then you go back into the world on Friday, Thursday and Friday and Saturdays or whatever day, and then Sunday back with the Lord's people again, folks. That's the cycle, and it ought to be a cycle of spiritual refreshment and encouragement, one of the other. Paul also had to wait patiently uh, in chapter 15, you know, and, and down here he says, uh, it hasn't happened yet, uh, I, I, if by any means now at length I long to see you, um, so far it hasn't happened, so Paul has to patiently wait for that. Uh, in Psalm 37, Paul talks to Paul. By the way, Paul did not write Psalm 37. Just for the record. You know, we get so busy talking about Paul, sometimes we forget about David. In Psalm 37, there's a couple of verses, verse 7 and verse 9. He says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently. Waiting is one thing. Waiting patiently is another. One thing I've learned over the years, I don't ask the Lord for patience. I never pray and ask the Lord for patience. Why do you suppose that is? He'll teach you, he'll give you things that you have to be patient for. Tribulation worketh patience. And I figure I'm going to get enough tribulation without asking for it. Alright, so waiting patiently. And then uh, again in verse in verse nine, uh, evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. Uh, verse thirty-four: Wait on the Lord and keep His way, and He shall exalt thee to inherit the land. Waiting patiently for things to happen. Patience is not one of my virtues. I, my mother used to say, "Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can." It's seldom found in women, but never found in men. <laughs> I don't know how true that is or not. My grandma used to have another saying. She said, uh, when it came to dying, she said, uh, the Lord's not ready for me. The devil doesn't want me. <laughs> so, so I continue to live here. Those trite little sayings. But Paul had learned to wait patiently, and so do you and I. I remember one day, I was, uh, this was back in 1967, the year I was out of college in between my sophomore and junior year. I was working at a shipyard and I got beat up at a strike. I, I was a scab. I broke a picket line. Uh, and uh, see, I, I was not a member of the union and the union was on a wildcat strike which means the union violated its own contract. Can't blame it on management. Well, uh, we, were, uh, we were building a ship called the St. Barbara. Santa Barbara. Santa means saints. Saint, Santa Barbara. Well, Barb was my girlfriend. We weren't engaged yet. That happened a year later. And so we were launching this ship that was named in honor of my girlfriend. 
Now, I've seen ships launched on, on TV, but folks, I want to tell you, when you're right there on the front lines and you're a part of that, it's a whole different experience. And I thought, strike or no strike, I'm not missing this, this ship launching. Well, I got to see the ship launched. And on the way out, I got beat up by the mob, and the police stood by and did absolutely nothing. Um, mob rule, that's what unions are. Uh, if you're a union member, please don't take offense at that. Uh, anyway, um, I started passing out. They banged my head up against the side of a panel truck. And I would be in Youth for Christ, talk to someone, I was in the middle of the world, I'm the pile on the floor. I was up in front of the church one time, we were taking the offering uh, while the pastor was praying. There were four of us standing up front. When he got done praying, there was only three standing. And I was in a pile on the floor. I passed out probably about 25 or 30 times, and eventually it passed. I had to go to the doctor. It was just a, a shock to the brain, like a bruise to the brain, but there was no, no brain damage. There wasn't enough brain to be damaged. And, but anyway, my next annual physical came up, and any fainting spells? Well, yeah, how many? Uh, 25 or 30. Boy, that was... Uh, that was signals going off to them. So I got orders to go up to the Philadelphia Naval Hospital. I arrive at 0800. That's 8 o'clock in the morning. And I sat there. And I sat there. And I sat there, not so patiently. You know, in the military, hurry up and wait. About five minutes to five in the afternoon, I got called into the doctor's. I sat there with no lunch. Just sit there waiting to get called, and I got called into the doctor's office, and he opened the file that was there from my from my uh, uh, doctor, the head, nerve doctor, whatever, brain surgeon, and he said, he looked it over, he said, as far as I'm concerned, you're unfit for duty, sign a signature, and I was out of the Navy, but eight hours of waiting, waiting, and wait, God says, wait patiently. For the Lord to bring it to pass. Number three, notice going back to Romans chapter 1, in verse 13, he desires fruit. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, for that oftentimes or, or many times I, I purposed, I tried to come unto you, it was my plan, but God changed those plans. The, the phrase, but let hitherto, the word let means prevent, I was prevented so far. I remember when the, the, the day that Barb passed away went home to heaven, uh, I was scheduled to be in Peru for a mission trip. And they had scheduling problems. I was kind of disappointed at the time because I wanted to be there. But we had to reschedule everything. But the Lord knew, hey, you need to be home because I've got business I'm going to take care of with your wife. And so the Lord, I, I had plans, but the Lord changed those plans. In India, they have an expression, as the Lord leads... That means everything is subject to change without notice. I have found in the ministry of evangelism, I have to be flexible. I have to be flexible with schedules. I have to be flexible with pastors. Not all pastors are as hard to get along. I mean, it's easy to get along with as your pastor is, you know. Um, and uh, so I have to learn to, to go with the flow and do with the schedule that they want to have. It can't always be the way I want it or the way I would prefer it necessarily. So Paul desires fruit that may abound to them. Now, there are so I say, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different kinds of fruit. Let me very quickly go over those with you, and then we'll be done. You probably haven't thought much about this first one, and that's the fruit of sin. Sin produces fruit. 
Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 10, the Bible says, They shall eat the fruit of their doings. You can live the way you want to. You can live a life of sin. But that's going to bear fruit, and it's not going to be a pleasant thing when harvest time comes in. In Colossians 1, verses 4 to 6, there's the fruit of salvation. And boy, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? To come to a place where you can know for absolute certainty without any shadow of a doubt that you are saved, that heaven is your home, that Christ is your Savior. And folks, that's not arrogance. That's simply taking God at His word. That's not saying I'm holier than thou. That's simply saying I, I believe what the Bible says. I'm taking God as That's what God said. And if you say you can lose your salvation, you're the one calling God a liar. God said the one, it's eternal life, and no man can pluck them out of my Father's hands. And then, of course, in Philippians 4, 7, there is, uh, 4, 17, rather, there's the matter of, of spiritual fruit. That in our, in our lives we are, we are growing in the things of the Lord and that ought to be reflected in the attitudes and so on of our life. Philippians 4.17 uh, says, uh, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. That's spiritual fruit. I don't have any idea what spiritual fruit is going to be the result of the ministry God's allowed me to have. I do know that when Barr passed away, we got I uh, got a lot of uh, uh, sympathy cards and several from young people who were saved under Barb's ministry. It seems that the most common grade of salvation that runs in my mind was the fifth grade. What 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 age would that be? Ten or eleven. Ten or eleven. Good age. Enough that they can understand when a child's three or four years old. Uh, I, I think it's some are saved at that young, but they're rare. And oftentimes they come back later as a teenager with doubts about it because there was so much they didn't understand. <clears throat> but at 10 years of age, they have enough life experience to know what sin is. A four-year-old may not fully understand what sin is. And by the way, until a child understands what sin is, he can't be saved. Because he has to understand that sin separates him from God and it is his sin for which Christ died. So it's not just I want a ticket to ride the merry-go-round at the county fair so that's asking Jesus in my heart so I can go to heaven. Anyway, the sin question has to be dealt with. So the matter of spiritual fruit. And, and uh, I had a, one young man write to us and, and he tracked us down. I'm not sure how he did it. I guess with the social media it's not too hard these days. And one is that my wife led him to the Lord in the fifth grade. He was in Bible college, about ready to graduate and enter the ministry. And we've had several of those kinds of contacts that have come along. And then, of course, in James chapter 3 and verses 17 and 18, there's the matter of the fruit of, of serving the Lord. Um, we all need to be involved in serving the Lord in one way or another. James chapter 3 and verses 17 and 18, but the wisdom that is from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, whereby without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So there's the fruit of service. There's also the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. By the way, the word is not fruits of the Spirit, but it's singular. It's for all of those are one collective package. 
And then in John 15, 16, and, and Psalm 126, there's the fruit of souls. He that goeth forth with weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come, come again, uh, bearing, bearing the, bearing, uh, isn't that terrible? As many times I've quoted that verse, it's just walked out of my mind. Uh, let me, let me just turn to it real quick. I hate to do that. Um, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. That's fruit bearing. In John 15, Jesus said that we're to bear fruit and then more fruit and ultimately much fruit. Part of that can be the area of winning souls. And by the way, don't compare your fruit basket with other people's fruit baskets. You may have a smaller fruit basket. Someone else may have a bigger fruit basket. God's, God says your much fruit may not be the same as somebody else's much fruit. Don't worry about theirs. You just do what God wants you to do. And then if you turn to chapter 15 of Romans, and with this I close, there's the fruit of our subsistence. You say, what in the world is that big word? Well, it has to do with financial help, all right? Helping people to have, have subsistence that they can get by. Uh, notice if you want in verse 28... Well, let's go back to verse 25. Now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it has pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. They were suffering there. And so Christians outside the realm of Jerusalem were taking special, like what we call a love offering, uh, to provide for the needs of those saints at Jerusalem. And then verse 27, it hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles had been partakers of their, the, the word there referring to the Jew, spiritual things, their duty, the Gentiles' duty, is to able, is also to minister unto them in carnal things. In other words, if, if you were reaping spiritual benefit, you had a responsibility to help those who are ministering that way. And Paul said, listen, the Gentiles were the beneficiaries of the Jews' rejection of Christ. And finally Paul said, Lord, we turn to the Gentiles. Well, therefore, we have a responsibility to these Jewish saints in Jerusalem to try to help them. They're struggling. We have it. We have a responsibility to help them along the way. And then verse 28, For therefore, when therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, there's the word, this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. Uh, and I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And so he, uh, the Spaniards like to say, well, there's no record that he actually went there. They say based on that, he must have made it to Spain on his way to Rome. Well, very possibly. But the idea here is the fruit of, of their finances, the helping those along the way that had ministered to them in spiritual things. Uh, Paul had a, a wonderful relationship with the Romans, and we're going to look today, uh, this evening, at some other aspects of their in the next few verses in Romans chapter 1. Let's bow together as we pray. Thank you, Father, for our time together in this service. Thank you for these who've come. I pray the Spirit of God will take these messages this week and burn these truths deep into our hearts that they may be life-changing truths. And Lord, where there's change that needs to be made in our life, help us to be willing to make that change. Lord, help us to be truly pleasing in your eyes, not just our words, but our actions as well. And for what you'll do in us and through us, we'll thank you. 
in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder, is there anyone here this morning who say, Preacher, God spoke to my heart, and if I'm honest, I really can't say I know I'm saved. If I die today and wreck on the way home, I don't know for sure if I'd go to heaven or hell. God knows I don't want to die and go to hell. I want to be saved. I know I'm a sinner. Would you please pray for me? If that's your desire, would you let me know by just quietly lifting your hand? Preacher, please pray for me. I'm not sure of heaven. I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm ready to meet the Lord. One day you will. Are you ready? Thank you, Father, again for your love and grace. Bless your word to these hearts now who've listened and may it bear the fruit that you've intended for it. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor? All right. Let's take our hymn books and turn to number 388. Appreciate the message, the word of God, those great, great truths. Um, certainly Romans is one of those books you can just <laughs> preach it, preach it, preach it. Um, we're going to do, I think the Lord's led me in this, um, every service that we have with Brother Lynch, we're going to end with this hymn, all right? So 388, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. We're going to sing verse number one, so let's stand, shall we, 388. But if the Lord has spoken to your heart, that's, that's the most important thing in our lives as believers, is to do the will of God, um, to let him have his way. And I, you know, Brother Lynch touched on that thing, you know, where some people think that God is their servant. And I know you don't, I hope you don't think that way, but God is our, we're his servants. And like the hymn writer put it, thou art the potter, I am the clay. And so let's sing verse number one. And if we can help anybody today, we would love to do that. Uh, spiritual needs, if you have, for salvation or for any other thing that you have today. So verse number one, um, 388, have thine own way, Lord. of the scriptures and even Father what we've heard just now uh, from that great book of Romans and uh, for the Apostle Paul's his writings as he was led by the Holy Spirit Father thy word is truth and I pray that thou would help each of us uh, to yield to that truth and to incorporate it into our lives Lord and even as we have just sung Father mold us uh, thou art the potter I am the clay and we ask thee to work Watch over us now today, and as we even as we uh, close the service, Father, help us to, to continue to minister um, the Word of God. Watch over us this afternoon. Please bless the service tonight and through the week. And Father, we just want to uh, give Thee praise and, and honor and glory, even in advance, for what will be accomplished. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.